Well, hey, fans of Biblical Genetics, this is Dr. Rob. Thank you so much for tuning in to another new episode of the Biblical Genetics Podcast. I have been working like a dog the last several months. In fact, I've probably had my most productive time as an author and writer ever. Basically, since May, I've written more articles than any similar period in the last 15 years of doing this. And yet all that productivity comes at a price because... Once I write an article, I have to double check it after the web guy set it up. And then I have to spend time answering comments. And I have to wait sometimes for an article that I, I posted. And I was like, oh, I need to talk about this on biblical genetics. But I can't until the article goes on creation.com first because, you know, they pay my salary. And uh, I am an employee. I can't preempt my own company. But I've been waiting for this one. I know it's been a little delay between episodes. And I do hope you pardon me, but there are reasons for this. And the reason is that I do have a day job and I'm working like a dog producing some, what I think is fascinating information. So this is the unexpected end result of this article series I started called Species Were Designed to Change. When I started writing, I didn't quite realize how, where it was going. And in the middle of it, I came up with these ideas about what the basic unit of creation was. God didn't create species, but he created groups of animals that modern uh, creation is called a baramen. That's a created kind. Species derive from those created kinds, but species change over time. They merge, they split, they merge again. And in the end, you don't get like God creating uh, things just the way they are today or, or species uh, unchanging over time. That's not the way it is. It's much more interesting than that. So, if you go to creation.com and you look at the articles, uh, Species Were Designed to Change, part one, two, and three, this is the first half of the third article. I decided to split it in half because I need to introduce uh, a classification scheme that, I, that I've invented in my own head and how to describe all the different types of created kinds. And once we do that, we can talk about what a species is and what it isn't, but that'll be next time. Now, I said in my... Um, the audio you're about to hear. I did make a couple of promises last time on things I was going to address in this video or this, this recording. I didn't do that because I got excited and I just kind of talked in a different direction than I expected. But here I am I'm standing on top of a bridge. There's beautiful scenery behind me. It's uh, getting dark. There's birds chirping and some frogs in the background. Lots of crickets this time. I'm um, trying to wax eloquent on some of the most amazing aspects of creation that I can think of. And I hope you appreciate this. I do thank all my supporters at the end, so I'm not going to do that now. But thank you for being here and listening and just spending time pondering this world that God has created. It's a beautiful thing when you really study it. And you know what? I'm glad I'm studying biology more than anything. I love chemistry. I love um, astronomy. I love all sorts of other things too. But, but biology is a thing that really motivates me because there's so much complexity. There's so much elegance and beauty. There's so much design. There's so much clear engineering. So let's look at, for today, the created kinds and what they were like. And hopefully you'll be pleasantly surprised. Hello and welcome to Biblical Genetics. I'm Dr. Rob. I'm coming to you today from one of my favorite filming locations, just a little park near my house that is full of life. Plants, reptiles, mammals, amphibians, bacteria, insects, tons and tons and tons of very interesting life forms right here. Huge amount of diversity, 
but also diversity that's specific to this area of the world. I'm in the southeast of the United States, just about an hour west of Atlanta. In fact, if I told you that, you could probably pretty much guess what species I might experience here. Well, the concept of species and how species adapt to local environments and how they change over time has been the focus of this article series that I've done on creation.com and this video series I'm doing to complement my article series. If you want to read a more in-depth analysis, you can go to creation.com, type in maybe Carter Species Change, and this article series is going to pop up. I have a three-part series. The first one, I describe how God engineered life and how He, on purpose, engineered life to adapt and change to new circumstances over time. In fact, the ability for life to adapt is part of God's created brilliance. In the second part, I discussed how species form and the potential limits of change of each individual created kind. And basically I said that as long as you have front-loaded information and you have the ability to rearrange that information, you're fine. But if you have to overcome some gigantic technological or physical barrier, if you have to invent a brand new metabolic pathway or something of that nature, that is a bridge too far. That is where creation and evolution separate. But all the other things, adaptation, natural selection, change over time, that's perfectly within the sphere of creationism. And we're happy to talk about such things. Now in this third part, I'm going to divide it into two parts. The second one, what I'm going to return with, is going to be discussing what I call the uh, intrabaraminic web of life. That's a topic for later. Trust me, we'll get there. It's going to be really interesting. But for this first part, I want to discuss the different types of groups of living organisms that God created. We're talking about something called a baramin. Now that's not a real word, it's a made up word, baramin. It comes from two Hebrew words, bara, to create, and min, type or kind. So some creationists like to say baramin, I like to say baramin, you know, potato, potato, pronounce it how you like. But the baramin is the essential created unit. God didn't create species, he created Baramins, each according to its kind. We get that from Genesis chapter 1. Let me read you Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind. Now, this idea of kind is repeated multiple times. We're talking about different kinds of plants, swarms of living uh, creatures in the sea, birds, livestock, creeping thing, beasts of the earth. Now that is not a scientific taxonomy. It's not our Linnaean classification system, but that's not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is a story of salvation. It's not there to tell us everything that God did. It only gives us a very general uh, feeling, a sense of what was created. But it does say that within each group of animals are specific kinds that are designed to reproduce within themselves and not therefore with others. That's the basic idea of a baramin. But when we sit back and we think about living things and, and created kinds, most of us probably think of lions and tigers. Maybe, I don't know, wolves and dogs, humans, gorillas and chimpanzees. But that's kind of myopic. That's actually taking a very cursory view of the Bible. And some of that's informed by the Noahic account where, where Noah took two of each kind of animal on board the ark. So we think two kinds. And we're specifically thinking of land vertebrates. And we skip over the fact that most of the kinds don't have a backbone. In fact, most of the kinds don't even live on land. Most of the phyla of living things live in the oceans. 
very few phyla live on land. So most of the created kinds are squishy things without a backbone, bacteria, uh, single-celled protists, maybe jellyfish and sponges and, and fish that have a backbone. But the less complicated you are, or the less complicated living things are, the more diversity there is. When we're talking about the barrowmen, the created kinds, we're talking about some really amazing and hugely complex groups of organisms. Not just cats, or horses, or camels. Now in what I'm about to describe, we have to understand that there's not really a division like I'm going to present to you. I'm going to give you a classification scheme for describing the different types of living organisms, but it doesn't really exist. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the extreme examples and give you some stopping points along the way so we can better conceptualize what we're talking about. So I'm going to divide the different created kinds into four different categories and some subcategories. The first created kind, the type 1 barrowman, humans. I separate humans from all the others, and there's a reason for that. Not only do I think humans are not descended from apes, that's beside the point. Humans are the only kind that we specifically know that God created two of. That's it. We're not told how many elephants he created. We're not told how many crickets he created. We're not told how many E. coli he created. I imagine quadrillions of them. I don't know, but we do know two humans. Therefore, the amount of genetic diversity within modern humans is limited by Adam and Eve. Now, as I talked about in earlier episodes and some papers that I've published, there's a lot of genetic diversity that you can put into two, two organisms. Uh, so if you had an Adam and you had an Eve, well, God could have put a lot of heterozygosity into Adam's genome. If Eve was cloned from Adam, there's a lot of heterozygosity there. Or Eve could have her own genome. Or God could have pre-programmed into their reproductive cells a different genome in each cell. So the amount of genetic diversity in humans today is controlled by how many children Adam and Eve had. Now, that's a lot of potential genetic diversity, but it is still limited by biology. So that's a type 1 barrowman. A type 2 barrowman is something that has a low diversity. So maybe, um, I don't know, maybe armadillos did not have a lot of diversity when they were first created. Or even better, platypuses. Or the echidna, the spiny anteater. When you look at a platypus, it's the only species in the only genus, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, and the only family within its type. Same with echidnas. They're all alone. There's nothing else in the fossil record that's half a platypus. Or platypuses in a fossil record can be bigger than modern platypuses, fine, but they're very similar to platypuses, as if they didn't have a lot of genetic diversity in the beginning. Interesting. But we're not limited to God creating only two. He could have created millions of platypuses. He could have created millions of one particular type of spider that has almost no genetic diversity but could have a large population size. So I'm going to split the type 2 barrowman into two subgroups. A is few individuals and type 2B is many individuals. Now I don't have a statistical way to separate them yet. Perhaps if we apply some statistical test and we say, okay, the number is 0.5. If we have 0.4, that's little genetic diversity. If it's 0.6, it's great genetic diversity. And maybe we'll have some statistical dividing line. I don't know. That's for future generations of creationists. It's a very interesting concept. Maybe someone can develop this even further. But let's move on to type 3 barrowman. 
These are organisms created with a lot of genetic diversity. I, when I picture the world, I picture the world brimming with life. I picture the world created with an unbelievable array of genetic diversity. So we can have a, a lot of genetic diversity in little subpopulations. God could create multiple little subpopulations of one particular kind that actually didn't connect initially. And later on, as they, they grew in number or they migrated different places, maybe they could reconnect. And when we have that occur, we might have a burst of speciation because the mixing of those genes and then sexual recombination, you can get different combinations of genes that actually would never existed before. They just all of a sudden appeared because they mixed two different subpopulations of one created kind. Or maybe something like uh, birds that travel long distances could have a lot of genetic diversity and a lot large population size, but maybe there's not much of a, a discontinuity between them. Maybe there's just one gigantic worldwide population. So type three barriments have two different possibilities independently created little subgroups or panmictic large populations. Either one is perfectly fine. The type 4 barramen are asexual organisms. Now, there aren't many asexual organisms. Not many at all. There are some organisms that have become asexual, like there's examples in reptiles and fish and crustaceans, species that there are only females and the females reproduce parthenogenically. Fine. That's actually really interesting, but obviously those little species that aren't many, they've lost the ability to sexually reproduce. Okay, there are some asexual species out there, but a few. Even bacteria, they exchange DNA with other bacteria. They're not purely asexual. But if there was an asexual species, each individual is its own created kind because it just reproduces more of that individual, which reproduces more of that individual, which reproduces more of that individual. So an asexual species is extremely limited in the amount of genetic diversity, but it's not limited in their numbers. There could be many, many, many of them. So those are the four different created kinds. I think this is a fascinating concept. And I'm trying to, in writing this and in speaking about this, broaden the creationist understanding and, and creationist appreciation for the amazing diversity that God made. It is not easy to study biology. Biology is not trivial, but it sure is fun. I hope you appreciate all the work we're doing here in Biblical Genetics. This actually is a lot of work. There's a lot of thought that goes into each one of these episodes. I think I'm getting better. I think my cinematography is getting better. I have got to get out of here though because the sun is setting and it's about to get a little bit dark. But before I jet, I just want to thank all of my supporters. On Patreon.com, Adam B, M Matsky, Rob S, and Dave H. You have been a tremendous support for me and I really appreciate you keeping my program on the air. Daniel P, James R, Jeff V, D, Mark K, and Mike from Australia. Thank you guys. You're awesome. On my third tier of Patreon, Jonathan P, Paul P, and Ted H. Gentlemen, again, thank you. If you would like to help support making videos of this sort of content, there are several ways you can do that. One, you can go to patreon.com and sign up to be a monthly patron. I would love that. Two, you could share these videos with other people. You could give me a like. You could click on the subscribe button and then very importantly, as all the other YouTubers say, click on the bell so that you're notified. Because I can see how many subscribers I have, I can see how many people watch my videos in the subscriber list, and I've got a lot of channels that I subscribe to myself. I have a trouble keeping up with them, but the ones I like the most, I do watch 
every episode of, and I hope you can join me in doing that also. Over on uh, buymeacoffee.com, that was the first site that I signed up for to help generate support. And it's really just like a tip jar, it's three, six, nine dollars, how many you know digital coffees you want to buy me. John H. George for, from Standing for Truth, uh, four anonymous donors this month, Stephanie S., Brian M., George S., Cowboy Bob, and Stephen F. I really, really appreciate you all very, very much. Now, when I come back, I'm going to fulfill a promise I made in my last episode where I think twice I said, I'm going to talk about that on my next episode, but I didn't talk about what I promised. I'm going to bring that up in my next, next episode. So just stay tuned. It will come. But we're also going to start talking about the complex way that a, the species within a barrenman can merge and separate over time. And I'm going to try to give to you a brand new concept a powerful concept, the concept that I think more fully encapsulates the type of things that God created. So we're not talking about a creationist lawn. We're not even talking about the creationist forest. We're talking about a web within each barman. Stay tuned for more of Biblical Genetics. 